Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Indie Game Business. I'm flying solo today. Dan is on uh, one leg of his cross-country trip, and so he'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. But we're still here. We've got Carl Contis today from VG Insights. Carl, welcome to the show, and Tell us a little bit about how you got into this industry and what your career has done up to this point. Hey, yeah, um, great to be here. Um, honestly, like more than a year ago when I first started um, listening to your podcast, I thought maybe one day um, I could be on it. And now I am. So that's fantastic. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I have been a gamer for a very long time. I you know, started on NES and had a Game Boy Color and all that stuff, but um, mostly on, on PC side. Um, but I never really thought, and I've heard this a lot actually in your shows, I never really thought about gaming as a career for me, um, mostly because I thought you have to either be able to code or, or be a creative person and, and be able to draw or, or design, and, and I did not know how to do any of those things. Um, but I was always interested in business side of things, and, and therefore I decided to go do my degree in economics and finance and, and go from there. Um, and when I, was, when I was 14, I tried to, I tried to, well, I did make a browser-based um, game. I think there was this open source engine out there, Dragon Knight, Dragon's Guest, something like that. And I used that, converted that into my own game. Um, after that, in uni, um, a, a couple of friends and I trialed a little bit with Unity. Um, that never caught anywhere because we got busy with other things. Um, and it was really only about a year ago, a year and a bit ago, when I started to um, think about um, the games industry more seriously again, because I work in, in strategy consulting and we do a lot of advisory um, for a whole variety of different industries. And a few gaming projects came up and that was the first time where I actually um, Kind of understood that there is more to gaming than just programming and and uh, design and, and kind of character making, um, and we did a project and I realized very quickly that if you're a mobile game game developer, you are in luck when it comes to data because if you have enough money to get a sensor tower or app any subscription, there is you know close to unlimited amount of data available for you. It is incredibly good. And if you're on the PC side, it's much more of a struggle. So you can get kind of high-end data, high-level data from uh, Newsu, or then you have the kind of other extreme of, of um, uh, Steam Spy and Steam DB and sites like that, which are great if you want data on, on kind of one or two things, one or two games. But if you want something that is consolidating an industry level of kind of here's my game and what are the 50 games that are similar to me and how do they perform kind of stuff, then that's a lot of manual work to put together. Um, so a, a, a kind of 
friend of mine um, and I decided to to try and solve this problem and and created the BG Insights to make data visual visualization for indie developers slightly easier. Um, and now we've been developing that for a year, year and a bit, and are at a phase where we're getting thousands and thousands of people visiting it every month. So that's uh, very exciting. Sorry, dog emergency. So, I mean, it's it's key that you mentioned App Annie and things because those are absolutely so expensive to get a hold of, and and it's getting this sort of data. You know, the the mobile stores don't provide it like Steam does, but then Steam's interface is so clunky, and you have to like really get in there and figure out, okay what am I looking for? How do I go and find this? What's actually important? So, you know, let's start off with why is this important? Why is, you know, making these data-driven decisions so key for, for PC developers? Yeah, I, uh, I'm i talking to a lot of um, indie developers these days uh, through Twitter and other mediums, and, and I get that question a lot uh, in a kind of slightly passive-aggressive way of... Um, <laughs> why should I ever look at data? I know the game I want to make and uh, let me just make it and leave me alone. Um, and I, I think that's kind of fine. I don't think the point of data is ever to take away the creativity or take away the choice from you. Ultimately, you can look at the data and decide not to follow what it says in the end, right? Um, so in my mind, it's less about being data-driven and more kind of being data-informed or, or data inspired even to an extent, which is, okay, let me look at the other games that are out there that are similar to my game. What do they price themselves at? And what's their, you know, what have their earnings been like in the last few years? And that tells me a kind of directional story at least of what can I expect or what should I consider? And then from there, I can, I can you know, use that or not use that or um, go and get an alternative you know, set of games and look at those if I like kind of that data better. Um, but I don't think these sites or, you know, even if we talk about sensor towers and, and the kind of mobile end, I don't think you should ever use data to just, you know, blindly follow that and, and do what the data says is the kind of highest revenue opportunity for you. But I also kind of feel like if you never use data to drive your decision-making, then you're, you're driving blind, right? You should at least know what's out there and then make a decision. Um, so when it comes to like actual data, that's, that's important. And uh, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it. One is when I start making a game, um, should I look at what kind of subgenres are popular right now? What kind of subgenres are, have been made a thousand times already? Um, and within those subgenres, are there combinations that kind of stand out and and tie that to what kind of subgenres do I like and what do I want to make? Um, and tie those two sides of the kind of what am I passionate about and what could actually perform well together? And then there's a next step from there of, okay, now that I know the game that I'm making, um, what can I actually expect to earn from it? And if that's your third or fourth game, you probably have a pretty good idea. But if that's your kind of first game you're making, or you're making a game in a new subgenre, then um, again, looking at historical kind of data to at least give you a rough idea of what you're in for is probably a pretty sensible idea. 
And that can also give you an idea of, well, what should I price my game at? Is, is the average game that looks like my game priced at $4.99, What does that mean? Where should I put my game in that kind of category? Um, and then obviously there's there's a whole point of kind of using data to do kind of get yourself a publisher or get funding, um, get government grants, things like that. So there's a much more pragmatic side to that as well. I'm actually very interested now in what type of game we would create if we did go just from the data. Yeah, shall I, uh, is that a uh, point where of time where I can jump into a graph and yeah, yeah. I mean, that was just that just came to mind. I'm just very curious. But yeah, go ahead. It's uh, so I'll introduce the platform first. But I'll answer your question with 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 a graph, that, um, and then we can we can talk about the platform later. Um, so one of the graphs we're showing is the Steam genre supply demand um, essentially curve. Um, yeah, uh, which basically shows you how many games have been released in the last year. Um, so um, if you look at arcade genre, that's nearly 1600 in the last year or so. And on the y-axis, it shows you what the median revenue kind of over the lifetime of those games is. Um, so generally speaking, if you just follow this chart, you want to be in the kind of top left bit, right? You want to be the the genre that makes a lot of money and there's not that much competition there, which is actually, well, grand strategy in this case, I think. Let me just refresh this just in case to make sure that um, this is uh, right. Subgenres, median, revenue. Yeah, so it's, it's 4X grade. So it's a grand strategy games essentially, where only 38 games that have been tagged as 4X in Steam were released in the last year or so, but the median game makes about $240,000. So that's a pretty sweet deal. I think, I think the thing that this chart obviously doesn't consider is how long does it take for you to make a puzzle game versus a, a grand strategy game? And, and the investment involved is, is probably quite different. So again, this is a point of no data is ever gonna tell you the perfect answer and you should always consider the, the the different uh, drivers behind there, but it gives you an indication, right? You, you you probably want to be somewhere in the, the kind of top left bucket, whether it's open world survivor craft or colony sim or turn-based or city builder, and probably less so on the puzzle side because um, ultimately it's just really tough to make a successful puzzle game that stands out from the 1900 other puzzle games that been released in the last year alone, right? So here's the catch then. So how do you factor out? I mean, if the median game is pulling in 240 or something like that, how do you factor in the outliers, like these gigantic AAA games that, you know, honestly, indies can't compare to? Yeah, which which is, if you look at the average of that, the, the story goes to, well, the average open world survival craft makes you know, 28 million. Is that the, the right <laughs> metric to use? Should I, should I expect to make 28 million if I'm creating an open world survival craft game? Probably not, right? Because it's, it's super tilted to the AAA and a couple of 
games, you know, the the Valheims of well. I was going to say, I think Valheim might have something to do with that. <laughs> yeah, it, it, even Valheim is not at that level actually yet, so uh, I don't actually know what's driving this. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, certainly the average is probably not the right metric to use. The median's a better one because you know that at least half of the games in the 4X genre have made 240,000. And that's a, that's a pretty good estimate. But again, like, does a, like a solo indie dev ever make a grand strategy game? Maybe not. So it's but inherently the whole subgenre is probably more tilted towards larger teams or kind of, you know, double A, maybe triple A end of the spectrum. Um, so, so there is, there is that to consider for every subgenre. Um, there is in Steam analytics tool that we have, you can actually look at the revenue breakdown for, so if we looked at, uh, if I'm looking at the subgenre of Forex games and I'm looking at the revenue breakdown by percentile, I can get an idea of what does that actually mean? Uh, you know, yes, the, the, the 50th percentile of, of uh, games make something like 200K. The top 1% make 250 million apparently. Um, but there's, you know, a whole bunch of, you know, a fifth of the games that make something like $6,500. Um, so you have to think about where do you expect to be on that curve, right? So you can probably, if you're an indie dev with a you know, two, three people studio, you can probably not expect to be in the top 10% here. That's just fairly unrealistic unless you get like an incredibly good publisher deal um, with a super unique idea. Um, it's just going to be quite tough. So there's they say again the element of how do I read this data and what does this actually mean and and sense checking that or um, yeah talking to other people and 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 getting their opinion of what that actually means. Um, so we've actually got a question from Nightwolf already is is there a genre for streamable since that may skew results for mini game statistics do those outliers get completely removed from overall statistics and data gathered uh i don't think we have streamable as a as a genre here but then i think there's a tag streamable right so we could actually add that that's a good idea um and, and then you could exclude that from the data right now how genre analytics works is it excludes all free games and I think it, what else does it do? Yeah, I think that just excludes the free games. That's um, that's the only criteria we have on it right now. So it includes games that are, you know, AAA um, and includes games that are complete hobby games that, yeah, maybe got five reviews and uh, that's all their mates that ever played the game. So, So how do you way you know the the median supply and demand versus competition it's like i'm sure if we did a a search here on a, a metroidvania it's going to show yeah. you know good profitability but there's also a shit ton of those games you know how yeah. how do you factor that in it's it's tough right because even at sub genre level there's the there's if you're making another metroidvania game 
it depends on what your blend of subgenres is, right? Are you bringing something unique to the table? Is it a very classic Metroidvania game? And uh, in which case you can almost certainly expect to be roughly in the middle of the park as well, right? Unless you're a really good um, you know, marketing guru that can do an excellent job of getting it in front of everyone. Um, that's just super tough. Um, I, I would say you'd probably almost always want to be on the left of this graph like it's it's really tough to you can make the best um whatever um uh, platformer game in the world but it's so hard to stand out from the thousand other platformer games that were released in the in the last year how how yeah. do you do if you think about steam discoverability and people that like platform games and 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 look for a new platform game today they play it's it's just tough um but yeah but also you know you have to think about your strengths right are you capable of making a good 4x game um with the resources and and amount of time that you have is it is does that work so there is a sweet spot there that is very individual uh and um depends a lot on your team size i think and what you're willing to put into that as well all right, so we have a guinea pig here. So let's look at 4X games as an example as we go through some of these, you know, things that developers should be looking at. So yeah, one, when you're looking at all this data, you know, and, and I'm not the analytics expert, to me it's like a whole bunch of numbers and lines and things like that, but what specific data is important you know that you be that you need to do beforehand you know when you're in the early stages of deciding what you want to do and then how does that change as you get into the whole i'm looking for a publisher stage? yeah yeah i think i think this graph is a good starting place you spend like five minutes on and see what kind of stands out I think ultimately what you want to do, um, and I'm using just VG Insights as an example here because I feel most comfortable with that, but we have a tool called Steam Analytics um, that um, allows you to filter down the, the 58,000 games on, on Steam right now to the subset that you want to look into. So um, if we're looking at Forex games, for example, I'm going to choose the Forex um, subgenre and which isn't something else here no that leaves me with 276 games um automatically so that's a that's a big big jump down and actually a fairly decent number to look at to get a kind of sensible statistical you know data out of it um and then the things that you'd really want to look at i think when you consider making the game is first of all what what's the what's the real sales potential there, right? Um, which we already looked at the, on the other craft, but you can also look at it at a percentile level. And the way that I would do that is think about the kind of worst case, base case, upside case, you know, absolute worst case scenarios maybe, um, and put yourself somewhere in the percentile of, Okay, if I'm completely failing, I'm probably still going to be in the kind of you know maybe bottom twenty fifth percentile or something, and I'll say I sell one hundred and eighty games, 
at whatever price I'm, I'm charging. If I'm kind of doing okay, but not as well as I thought, the 33rd percentile for 4X games is about 1,000 units. If I'm doing a kind of average job, that's 6,000 units. And maybe my upside case is that I'm going to be in the top 75 fifth percentile or something that's 40,000 units. Um, and then you can just, you know, multiply that through with whatever the price of your game is that you think um, that you'd price it at and maybe take a 20% discount there or 10% discount there because you're going to do steam sales presumably to, to get to that level. Um, and then obviously you need to take off the 30% steam cut and so on and, and get an idea of, okay, this is, this is the base case of what I could actually expect to make from this. And I think the next step is then the other side of the equation of what do I have to, to put in there? How, how much time do I have? Um, yes, $15, exactly, <laughs> right? That's a, that's a good, I think, and literally, I think this data all backs what you're saying around just judge more for your games because the games that have a higher price sell more like just the, the equation works like it's if you, if you charge if you charge 19.99 instead of 9.99 you're not going to lose half of the customers in most cases in, in most cases you're not going to lose half the customers so like the pure financial equation is just completely in your favor um i mean it's just obviously dependent on the quality of game and the subgenre you're in and a hundred other considerations but generally more works and you can always discount the game if uh, if you want to. Um, but um, yeah, specifically if we look at a forex game, the next next stage is probably then thinking about okay, what what should my price be once I'm developing this? Um, the average forex game, the price is about seventeen dollars apparently. Um, but if you look at the price distribution, um, there are about eight percent of the forex games are free. Nine percent of them are kind of between one cent and 4.99 um but actually more than half of those games are charging um at least ten dollars or more which i think forex is is probably one of the highest average um price points that you can see in in substract notes on steam um and it makes sense these, these games are you know generally very good quality there's a lot of time and effort has been put into them so people charge more for it um so uh, I know y'all we'll are like in active development on this and it's and it's not a hundred percent finished. So I'm gonna ask questions and if it's not a feature yet, just tell me to you know, sh shut up and quit asking. Can right. you yeah. filter by release date? Yes. Yes, you can actually. You can set the release date to be whatever you want, really. So do like factor do everything from 2018 on. Yep. So the general rule that we have is that data that's more than two years old is just. That's fair. Yeah. And now we're down to about a hundred games and actually the average price hasn't changed that much. I, I can't remember what it was before, but it was around 17 before as well. I think. I suspect what you'll see is the average revenue or the median revenue has gone down because just, you know, the lifetime of the game, there's the, yeah. less years to earn um yeah all right so uh div's got a question for science show turn-based you know games since there's so many rpg maker slash story driven games that end up falling into this category 
And while he does that, I'm going to, you know, go on a particular rant against something here. Why does everybody hate RPG Maker games? It, it's like, if it's a good game, why the hell does it matter if it's made in RPG? I've never understood this argument. Everybody wants to, you know, shit on RPG Maker games. And I'm like, one, they're giving, you know, new developers more tools to learn their craft. But two, why does it matter? I mean, it's not like every game out there has drop-dead visuals. So, yeah, anyone who wants to pick that up in chat, just hit me. All right, so what are we looking at now, Carl? So we've got turn-based games now, um, released after 2018. Average price, 13.5. Actually really well rated on average. People seem to like turn-based games, 80%. Um, general upvotes. And what are we looking at revenue-wise? Median turn-based game makes about twenty-five thousand uh, dollars. Let's uh, let's try and remove the free games here. Let's put minimum price as zero point zero one and see see what the paid games are like. So yeah, so median turn-based game forty-three thousand revenue. Top one percent makes. 35 million. So I guess you kind of want to be in the top 1%. That's pretty nice. Um, and there's, uh, yeah, like the bottom 10% make less than $1,500. By the way, this this um, revenue estimation here is all based on on the box lighter method of uh, number of reviews times, uh, I think I think 50 is what we're using here. So it's, 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 it's not the most um, kind of, complicated algorithm in the world. Um, but at the level of looking at 100 games, it actually works reasonably well. We've done a lot of tests here, here and there on uh, comparing the uh, that method versus actual sales where where we have the data. And it's, it's pretty good. So now I'm arguing about RPG Maker in, in chat. So hold on. <laughs> what's, the, what's the chat there? The, <laughs> Devorin says that you know RPG Maker makes is an easy tool that people can focus on, in on the story and forget the gameplay and graphics since it quote handles it for him. And I said, yeah, but you can make that argument well about literally any other engine. I mean, that's what Unreal Blueprints help you do, and all these the the tool set, the stores on Unity and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. That's just my little why is everybody always hating on RPG Maker rant? Um, so when you're going through and, and looking at all of this stuff, where what are the major red flags that you need to be looking at? Well, as in, I'm starting to make a new game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to check the data first. What tells me ooh, maybe I should reconsider? Um, I, think, I, I think the two major things are... Um, that you can really easily get out of this data is if this game's been released a thousand times before and I don't have a unique edge to that game, I'm, I'm not taking a very different approach to it. What, what's gonna, what's gonna tell, why, why, why would I do that? Um, and why would anyone buy that if, if that's been made a thousand times before? And if it's for like a learning purpose or whatever, that's absolutely fine. But if you're actually trying to, do it for even remotely commercial reasons, that's kind of a big red flag to me. Uh, I think the other one is 
is looking at the median revenues. I think the third one is looking at the um, average price actually for those games is, is pretty indicative of um, what people are used to when they look at games like that. So if you're making a, a platformer game, I don't want to hate the platformer games, but um, there's a lot of them released and the average price is really low. Um, and you want to charge 20 quid for your platformer game. Is that is that going to be something that is appealing to the people that love playing at platformer games? Probably not because they're used to paying 4.99 for it or less. Um, and that means that your actual you know, revenue potential is immediately kind of lower. I think um, I think these are really the three things that to look at. I, I mean, you can also look at the number of games released over time um, and see where that's trending. Um, if I'm looking at turn-based games right now, it seems like not much has been released uh, since July or August um, last year, it's actually trending downwards. And and part of that is probably, we got this March COVID spike here. Everyone immediately released their turn-based games, apparently. Um, so yeah. when, you're, when you're looking into ways that you can stand out, are there, have you all got it in here where they can, I don't know, flip by sub 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 genre. So if you're going for a roguelike turn-based game. Yeah, we can do that. Let's see what that looks like. Oh, do you do you want to give the breakdown of why a, why a roguelike is different than a roguelite? Uh you know, I don't really know. I, I do. I, do. I just did a, a report on it, actually. Hold on, let me dig it up. Uh, I don't remember. Okay. Um, but go ahead. Yes. So if we're looking at a, you know, there's a lot of roguelike games. Roguelikes are extremely, you know, popular right now. But then if we blend that with, you know, a, a turn-based strategy. Yeah. Uh, maybe we can we can do turn-based strategy as well. I think it's separate to turn-based. Let's see if that um, does that change anything. Not too much. There's 80 games like that that's been released, um, and a lot of them are in the 10 to 20 um, dollar range. Actually, uh, doesn't seem too different from uh, from just a normal turn-based game. It, it's it's fairly similar ballpark but actually it's been a lot more popular recently i mean that might also be just because uh some of those steam tags have just been uh picked up a lot more recent in the recent years it's, it's it doesn't mean that uh uh no turn-based roguelikes were released earlier indie game business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all those speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket.
from Divinorium. What's the genre that you would go maybe not a good idea based on data alone? Um, based on data alone, I would say puzzle games, arcade games. I think, well, the question with these is, is they're really good for mobile. And even in mobile, it's super tough because the competition is high. But I don't think um, PC players have ever properly picked up um, puzzle games as a kind of way to spend. Certainly Steam, Steam people don't really seem to like puzzle games that much. If you think about what's, you know, an average Steam person likes to play, it's it's pretty much the the genres that you have up here, right? It's a it's a, it's another paradox game that is a grand strategy in a different time period, or another simulation game or base building game. Um, so all the games that are not your classic kind of games that appeal to the Steam specific players are games that you should be quite careful about. And that that for indies, I think, includes a lot of like super artsy games as well, like going, um, doing a really beautiful story-based, kind of narrative-based game. It's, it's, it's like an art piece, but it's very tough to sell it on Steam. And I had this discussion recently on, do we think that subscription platforms will change that? Are you more likely to play those games if, if you kind of get it for free as a part of the subscription platform? Um, where my, uh, my thought was, yeah, absolutely. I would play those games if I could just get them for free. Um, but um, I think I had this discussion with Chris Zygowski actually a, a couple of days ago, and he said that the first initial results from uh, Apple Arcade are basically no, like it doesn't save you. It's not a magic cure for um, for like narrative games because it seems like they're still not played, even if even if you get it free as part of the platform. So there are just some games that don't work with some platforms um, and some games that just are generally very niche. So to derail quickly, I found my notes on the roguelike versus roguelite roguelike has a definition according to some conference they did in Berlin, and it's literally called the Berlin interpretation. The higher you score on this ranking, the more roguelike you are. The lower you score, the more roguelike. High value factors, it has to have a random environment generation, has to have permadeath, turn-based, grid-based, non-modal. So movement battle all the other action takes place in the very same mode uh resource management complexity but that's a fairly general one uh most of them are going to be hack and slash and exploration and discovery are key so if you have a lot of those factors you are a rogue l-i-k-e if you have some but not all of them and you're going to score lower you are a l-i-t-e um so yeah, I just thought that was interesting because I used the two terms interchangeably for years until I did this little bit of research. Um, if, if I had to guess, permadeath is probably the one one big thing that people get get rid of and go to the more rogue, roguelite category, yep. I think. But yeah, um, not many people like to permanently die in games. See, I do. do That's the, the, seriously, it's whenever I play... Um, 
you know, especially things like like Star Traders Frontiers. And I know uh, the Truce Brothers have put so much work into all of these campaigns and stories and things that they do. I never get to any of them because I always play on permadeath. And so my crew dies pretty quickly, even though I've been playing that game for years and I still suck at it. You know, and it's that to me is the challenge of a lot of these things it's like otherwise yeah you're just going to hit space and respawn and keep going you know you, you've got to have some sort of you know factor in there that makes it difficult and so that's the that that's how i always look at these things um yeah so Nightwolf says, would it be better to post your game with the subgenres as a main genre instead of the main genre if your main genre one is a niche one with low data? Too many genres in there, Nightwolf. But yeah. So wait, let me repeat that again. Um, All right. So if if your if the core genre of your game is something that's yeah. like completely oversaturated, is it better to list it with the under the subgenres? primarily to get more attention on it see this is the point where i'm not super <laughs> confident about this um but it feels to me like the smart thing is is definitely to to mention both right and 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 that's that's why you should my advice on on kind of steam tags is get rid of the pointless tags so you have space to list both you know, main subgenre and the other subgenres that you're focusing on. And the order of that or the kind of priority there, that's an interesting point. Do you get more more eyes on your game if you if you name the kind of more niche ones first? Maybe, but it depends on how niche they are, I guess. Um yeah, I don't know. What what's your take on that? I would do it because that way you don't I mean everything is about discoverability it doesn't matter how good your game is that whole myth of if i make a great game it will sell is bullshit that doesn't happen anymore if that happened 10 15 years ago it doesn't happen anymore if you're not seen then you're not going to sell and so if you can in some way and i'm not an expert on posting in steam and that store on that side that's that's where i live it leave it to folks like chris zukowski and, and, and that crew but if you can place yourself firmly in a less crowded genre a blue ocean scenario versus a red ocean scenario yet you've still got some tags to bring in people from the bigger genres that's the that's the way to go because otherwise you know, if you go on Steam and just go, all right, I want to look at, you know, turn-based strategy games, it's going to pop yeah. up every AAA game, you know, and inevitably you've got a yeah. game that is, you know, really good and great and, and it's even getting great reviews and you're priced at 20 bucks, but so is XCOM 2 and yeah. all of these other, you know, gigantically successful AAA games. So you've got to have some way to get in there and, and stand out for a little bit. So yeah, I mean, I would, I would recommend that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, it, it depends on, depends on what those really niche ones are. Is there a audience base that looks for those games? If so, like for sure, prioritize that, right? Because if I'm looking at well, I don't know what's a good example of a really niche game. 
um, subgenre, I would say. Go to RTS. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people talking about RTS, and yeah, until Age of Empires came back, we yeah. haven't seen a a true RTS in a long time. Yeah, yeah, fair. And actually, I'm an Age of Empires fan, and if if I'm getting nostalgic and I want to find another kind of RTS game to play, then uh, I would probably put in that to find those games, right? So if if, if you come up under that rather than uh, I don't know what you combine this RTS with. Maybe you're a. Um, There's a lot of city builders. There's a lot of survival yeah. games. There's a lot of platformers. Yeah, I was actually surprised how um, how low survival games are in the average uh, or the medium revenue. There's there's a lot of them out there, and um, they don't make that much money. Um, that was, I I expected them to be be higher in this graph actually um, is part of that because they are they don't typically come with a lot of dlc i mean live ops for survival games tends to be free yeah. promo you know free content additions you know whether or not it, no man's sky is a great example you know they've been working on that game for years now and yeah. not a single ounce of, of DLC. And, and the, the Truth Brothers are the other one, you know, Star Traders. 250 content updates they've made to that game. And none of it had to be purchased. And so when you're dealing with a game that's got a longer lifespan, like a survival game can, or even a roguelite, yeah. if you're not supplementing that with new revenue coming in, that's going to make your it's going to show up in your revenue. Now, the catch is you sell enough of them in the first place to finance development for two years and you keep people engaged. But I'm wondering if that's not a factor in there somewhere. And uh, Lee Hammond had a question that, I, I mean, a, a point that I completely missed. Sorry about that, Lee. You know, going back to the the subgenre graph there, you know, the subgenres on the right side of the graph, is there only one great game in the market that's pushing that average much higher? Or are there numerous mediocre games pushing down the average? You know, can you say that the quality of the games on the right side of the graph are quote trashier, making the average very low since platformers and puzzle games are easier, you know, are easier than on the, yeah, or on the left of the graph? Yeah, I, I think um, I think that the, the, the way to think about this is also what was your first game? It was probably a platformer game that you made, right? Or, or, or something in that category. So for sure, this median here is brought down by the huge amount of developers that try to make a game in Unity. It was a platformer game and they've never made another game. Um, and and that definitely distorts the graph here. And I think one of the things that we're going to add soon is the ability to to filter out those games and look at look at the kind of subset of games that you would expect to be in to kind of take out the real triple A's that distort the picture and take out the the games that never got more than I don't know twenty reviews or something. Um, and look at what the graph looks like then. What's what's the graph look like at the level of kind of the games that you'd expect to to make um, and which subgenres are, are doing better in, in that that case. I, th I think it just does change, change the picture a little bit. So 
real quick, what filters do you all already have in place on this? So for, for genre analytics, we currently don't have any filters. Um, you just see the picture as is. The, the tool that has a lot of filters is the Steam Analytics one, where you can look at kind of one subset of games at a time, um, where you can use the main genre. Is it a single player or multiplayer? What's the subgenre? Is it a roguelike or roguelite? Um, the theme, which is also based on on Steam tags, it's kind of you know, is it a sci-fi or medieval themed game? Um, art style, two um, D, three D, cartoony, uh, pixel. Uh, is the character um, first person, third person? And then we have a whole bunch of stuff on release and performance related. Uh, um filters as well so you can look at the different uh is it a full game or is it early access when was it released how many languages and what languages does it support um how many reviews has it got what's the what's the average positive review kind of do you want to filter out any anything that's got less than 50 percent positive reviews for example um is it a triple a double a or indie so how um, do you define triple a double a so this has been a fairly manual process, actually. Um, what we did first is we um, we looked at the top earning publishers, um, and I think we went through the like the top three hundred or something, and then just classified them manually. Is this a AAA publisher? Like con con conventionally agreed AAA publisher? Is it a paradox that's more kind of in the AA range? And then said anything that we haven't tagged as AAA or AA is is indie basically. Um, so so there are still things here that are a bit weird sometimes. I think it's not a hundred percent right, but it's right enough to give you an idea. Again, if you, you know, look at AAA games only, you you you'll you'll see that the median sale is something like one point three million. So um, it 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 gives you a pretty good ballpark idea of um, do I want to include or exclude AAA, for example. So let, let's do the commercial here. How, if somebody needs access to this, how much how much does this cost? Uh, there is a like a free version of it where you can get access to a lot of it. And I've kind of forgotten at this point what's um, what's free and what's not. <laughs> uh, but, uh, the paid version is still super cheap. It's 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 ten ten pounds a month. So I think in dollars it might be something like uh, well fourteen fifty or something like that plus VAT plus plus um, sales tax. So compared to um, pretty much any um, other data platform, it's 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 pretty cheap. I think it's kind of roughly in, on the same level as uh, Steam Spy. Um, so and and I think it's going to stay like it forever. There's definitely going to be a tier that's always going to be a cheap tier that is affordable for indies. Um, and maybe in the future, there will be another tier that gives you some you know, additional features that, that is a more expensive one. But um, to get full access right now, that's what it is. So if, you, if you're at the stage where, I mean, your, your game is in demo stage, it's just ready to start talking to publishers. How does this data help you land a publisher? Yeah, I, I mean, 
the first, well, maybe not the first question, but one of the main questions in the publisher's eyes is, what's the earnings potential for this game, right? So, so this graph, I think, becomes incredibly um, important when you talk to publishers. If I look at the other 50 games that look exactly, well, or roughly like my game, maybe not exactly, it's a, but um, what, what did they earn? Um, what were they priced at and where am I priced at? If, if, if they're normally priced at $20, $20 and I'm priced at 10, why am I priced at 10? Do I have an explanation for that? No, so, you don't. And you shouldn't <laughs> be pricing it at 10. Sorry, go ahead. Um, yeah, well, which is probably what the publisher will tell you as well, I imagine. Um, and maybe then that's, that becomes a discussion of actually should you price smarter and then we'll, we'll publish it. Um, but uh, it, it's mostly about the revenue expectations. And that's what it comes down to. And there's there's a lot of ways to show this. You can you know put the filters in, show what the average median games are, um and if you look at the what we were looking at before forex maybe the next step um to go the level deeper from there is to look at these games actually that you've selected as the comparison games um and i've currently put in all forex games so you know you probably want to exclude um <laughs> games unless you're very ambitious um and even then probably you want to exclude them um and and then show that the the 40 games that you've picked as kind of competitors or, or or comparison games are actually realistic i think that's the next big step right the publisher wants to see that you know what you're talking about and you're you're not living in the clouds and thinking i'm gonna sell um well whatever oh god no, we see that all the time is it, is 200 million uh, worth of games right yep. Yeah, exactly. It's like I'm making a 4X game and Civ 7 or Civ 6 sold 10 million units, and we think we'll do 10% of that. It's like, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're, you're starting off on the wrong foot there. Pick, uh, pick a realistic range of games. Um, uh, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my big tip. Ch so, charge more for a game, pick a realistic set of games to show your publisher, show them how much money they make. And hopefully they make enough money to to make it worth your life. <laughs> and they're well. So we got about 10 minutes left. If you've got questions for Carl on any of this data-driven fancy math graphs and such, pop them in chat and we'll get it. Even if you want a, a test run, tell us what you're developing and, and we'll pull up a chart on it uh now says how is five dollar co-op multiplayer games affected data statistic there's been a rise in both five dollar games on steam and itch they're being played by streamers and youtubers due to collaboration with other streamers or just enjoying the gameplay obviously you got to take out things like valheim and rust but how has that affected everything have you seen that yeah that's interesting i was just looking at we don't actually have co-op um filter here we should definitely add that in so we can we can properly look at that um the, the honest answer is i i don't know um but i i kind of think that to an indie developer streamer has had streaming has had a smaller impact than you think it would because it's so consolidated in the top end there's like 
five games that get all the views from streamers or what but maybe it's 10 games but um it's less does than it, 20 yeah yeah does it actually make a big impact to a indie game developer i imagine no you can you can try and target to be in that niche and and it it is probably smarter to to kind of again tackle the the niche end of that streaming don't try to copy among us and think that you're going to be the next big streaming thing um maybe go for a 4x game that people also want to watch um there's there's a streaming audience for that um but i wouldn't i wouldn't think it's a game changer really i think it's i think it's yeah and keep in mind too you know we're not tracking anything from from itch.io the yeah all of this stuff is coming from steam but this is why when you're doing this research you've got to take out the top and the bottom you know because otherwise all your data is going to get completely skewed over to what rust is doing like someone said and yeah it's it's not realistic i mean that that's not the world that you live in and even a publisher isn't going to look at it you know because they know that it's not realistic on their side um keep in mind when you're pitching to a lot of these publishers that this data that you can get from places like VG Insights is good, but publishers always have better data because they are the ones seeing the actual Steam you know, results on what they're doing. Can you, so somebody has the 4X games in development, you know, is there a way in here that they can go through and find the publishers that are doing 4X games? uh yeah that's a good question let's look at the we've got a tool that's called publishers database um and whilst at this stage it doesn't allow you to kind of look at it at the level of 4x games but it does allow you to look at it at the level of publishers that do um you know strategy games for example um and maybe i'm looking at publishers that aren't AAA or double a publishers that have released at least let's say 15 games in the past right, and then wait, you can... you've got a you've got a very important filter in here that i love that you all have do the percent in-house and percent max, max in-house and max you know there max in-house and minimum in-house because this is what we use at our firm to decide if someone is a publisher or if they are a self-publishing yeah. developer if it is a company that you know your publisher and your developer are constantly the same company they're not publishing i mean technically they are but they're not publishing third-party games so that's that little tool right there helps developers find you know the actual publishers that are exactly yeah i i think it's it's, it's really important because initially when we released that we didn't have that filter in here and we went through the the, the so-called publishers and they were all basically just the people that have made a lot of games um yep. and and that's not the people that you want to go after so um it really does uh does make a difference here and then you could actually um order this table in terms of strategy focused for example so you look at the publishers that are more focused on strategy um games so 80 percent 86 percent of the top publisher here um 86% of the games they've released are strategy tagged. Um, and that, that gives you an idea of, oops, uh, and maybe you want to go actually higher. You want to go, maybe they've released 25 games. Let's say it's a, it's a fairly big publisher. Um, 
and then then that that gives you an idea of go through those publishers see what they're like some of them will be you know chinese publishers that you probably <laughs> have no you don't want to target um some of them will be uh, you know more realistic um but it certainly gives you a narrow town list so in, the, in this case it gives you 46 publishers that fit all these criterias um, and it's quite manageable then to, to go through that and and um, find the publishers that that are more likely to publish the specific game that you're you're after um, all right so great point here and i'm going to put you on the spot Calix says, I would love to use tools like this, but as a beginner, it's intimidating. What are some basic and useful and hopefully understandable things that you can get from the tables? My question you know, to, to you, Carl, is, I mean, we've got our conference coming up in about five weeks. God, um, <laughs> would you be willing to do a session where you basically do a case study and you walk through a hypothetical development scenario and just go through the whole process this is how you pick the genre this is how you pick your subgenre. this is how you present this stuff to a publisher yeah that that actually sounds sounds very good i'll definitely do that for sure if the date if the date aligns i actually need to check that but um, the date is the 15th through the 17th of june yeah that should be fine um jot that down that, I think the best way to understand how to use you know, tools like this is to is to do exactly what you said. Just take take a particular game that you're developing and see, you know, from beginning to end, step by step, how would how would I sense check this with numbers? Um, there's, but I think <laughs> there we go. Nice. Uh, yes, please. Um, but regarding that, I think the big takeaway for us and they, I don't know why it took us so long to to get to that is um simplifying this down even further because I think it's it take it's a big step forward from kind of just trying to do your own analysis from from Steam Spy but it's still super complex for someone who's never really thought about this before and the next step for us with this platform is to create super specific tools that are like Here's a pricing tool. Put in the subgenre your game's in, and maybe the art style you're going after, and it will tell you kind of roughly what you should price your game at, what are the other games priced at, and uh, how does that break down, and and what types of games are you know priced at higher and lower there, or a uh, a tool that is like a fundraising tool that just literally gives you all the data points for that particular you know game that you want that. A publisher would be interested in, um, or you know, a release date tool that tells you games like this. When should you when should you try and aim to release this? For example, some something that kind of takes it one step at a time and shows you a simple, elegant way to the answer rather than uh, ability to filter it a thousand ways. All right, we, we've got a technical question here. Oh, not working. Trying to log oh. in site using Google is not working. It, it, I've seen a couple of other people have this problem before, and that's because they had their um, ad blocker on. I don't know if that's that's something that um, is causing this for you, but um, it, it might be one of those things. I don't know why um, ad blockers sometimes think uh, Google login is an ad, but uh, 
Yeah, it's like you don't even have ads on here. So <laughs> no, no, they're they're literally yeah. All right, you two try try to disable your ad blocker and then try to get in. Let's see if that works. And uh, if not, then uh, you can you can send me the you know browser you're using and stuff like that, and we'll look into that. Yes, and Carl you. is offering ten thousand dollars to everybody who finds a bug. I'm kidding. Um, not, <laughs> not on this stage. The look um, on your face was awesome. There, that was. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I could earn ten thousand pounds many times over. You can't there. submit your own bugs, Carl. That's <laughs> the... <laughs> but uh, now it is something to keep in mind. It's like this is it. it it's, it's not as as deep in development as something like Steam Steam Spy is. So there are going to be you know catches here and there but there's some really cool things that they do that i don't see on some of these other platforms and that's why i wanted to get you on here and have you talking about this stuff so um all right and uh, keep in mind divinorium and, and lee carl's also on our discord so you, you've got questions you can post them in there too and, and he'll be able to get back to you um yeah they're they're having issues all right We'll figure that out later. It, it, it's working for me. Works as intended. Um, like I like that answer. It works for me. Um, so yeah, if you're not on the Discord and you've got questions and you just want to be part of a really supportive community full of everybody from students just coming out of university to executives over at Sega, Nintendo, and, and Sony, uh, go over to discord.gg slash indie game business. That's where we all are. And that's where we're helping folks out. Carl, thanks so much for one for putting this together because it, it's a very clean interface. It's a very easy way to get in there and you know start looking at some of this stuff. So this is all Patreon funded right now, right? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. All right. And so what what's that Patreon address? We'll put it up in here. Um. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um... <laughs> <laughs> We don't know. That's the um I got it. I, oh you've got oh. it already. Okay, yeah. so patron slash BG Insights. That's what it is. Okay. That's what there we go. It's right there. Nice. Click in chat um, and we've got it we've got it live. Yeah. I mean I, I it, it's a tool that I made for myself because I don't know if you kind of realized this in the last hour, but I'm kind of a data nerd. So I love to look into that stuff. And then once we started making this, we realized actually this might be interesting for other people as well. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping other people will find this useful. Uh, if so, let me know. If you feel like there's missing things in here or you find the bugs, I won't be able to give you $10,000. Uh, uh, I will fix the bug. So that's, that's something. Um, <laughs> Which is worth $10,000. So it's kind of like, you know, payment in kind. Hmm. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, like I said, if, if you've got questions, pop them over to discord.gg slash game business. Uh, we appreciate everything that, that all of our fans and, and users are doing there. And Carl, thanks so much for one, putting up with repeated postponements to get you actually live on here. That's wholly my fault. Um, and, and keep up the good work, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. That's awesome. Good to be here. <laughs>
All right, y'all. We will be back next week. And make sure you go to indiegame.business and get your free pass to our event coming up in, in June because you, uh, you'll be able to hear all sorts of talks from Carl and a lot of other people that we're working on, too. See y'all next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.